Hey guys and girls, welcome back to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. I'm your host, Roman Segal, and in today's episode, I'll be talking about the pharma and biotech ecosystem with Mr. Peter Belden, who is the president of Choapak US. So who is Peter? Well, Peter is a leader in the pharmaceutical services space and passionate about building teams that delight clients. He recently joined the Choapak team as president in the US to help embark on the next stage of the company's growth by delivering quality service and flexible solutions to clients. With over 25 years of service to pharma and biotech clients across packaging materials, contracting, clinical supplies and commercial medicines, specialty third-party logistics and related commercialization offerings, he has held leadership roles at Amerisource Bergen, Avery Dennison, PCI and Clinogen Group. Super impressive guy with a clear passion for pharmaceutical packaging. So a great episode to get your teeth into today. Uh, don't forget to subscribe and rate wherever you're listening to today's podcast and enjoy today's show. Hey, Peter, welcome to Molecule to Market. Thank you, Ramon. Uh, great to be on the show. I appreciate you having me. Well, great to have you because uh, I have a you know, such a high regard for Chuapak and the organization that you represent. Uh, I've had the pleasure of, of knowing Dexter and his father, Eric, for many, many years. And Dexter was also a former guest, one of our first guests, in fact, on Molecule to Market. So it's great to have the evolution of that business and, and have you now as the, the head of the US business on the podcast. Uh, before we kind of get into Chuapak and what your role today is, Let's start with a bit of the backstory. So give our listener a bit of an overview, uh, Peter, of your background and uh, you know the various roles that you've done that have led you to, to where you are today. Yeah, sure. And I'll, I'll, I'll start with just a quick reference back to a family business, which was part of my attraction to Joke Back. I grew up in a family business. Uh, my dad was a landscape architect and vertically integrated back before we knew what that term meant. Uh, he had three young sons, and uh, so we all became like instant labor as well <laughs> in the business. So gr- growing up, learning the goods, the bads, the challenges, the opportunities of being in a family business really shaped my direction. Uh, landscaping was not my passion, so after studying business uh, and getting you know into the corporate world, you know, I quickly found my way into the world of packaging. And my career started in flexible packaging and sales and marketing positions. And, you know, after uh, serving a variety of industry segments through that first portion of the journey, you know, found the pharmaceutical and life sciences arena in the late 90s. So over 25 years now in service to PharmaBio uh, and their outsourcing needs, you know, originally through uh, packaging materials, blister foils, uh, and and paper foil laminates that go into a variety of applications, uh, things like pressure sensitive labels. So in in those days, uh, you know, started to be a materials provider into the pharmaceutical industry, and then landed in the early two thousands into the contract packaging for pharmaceutical at Anderson Packaging, uh, which was recently acquired by Amerisource Bergen and you know, was really looking to expand their growth uh, and came in 
and uh, jumped into sales leadership and grew to sales and marketing and really, you know, learned the value of creating strong partnerships, solutions-oriented partnerships with pharma bio clients that needed trusted third parties to help them manage critical parts of their supply chain. And, you know, have been able to leverage those learnings of, you know, listening to clients' needs and identifying solutions that work for the client, work for, you know, your firm and solve a need that, that they were not able to manage themselves or through other third parties. So really enjoyed a great ride through the Anderson Packaging and Amerisource Bergen days. We acquired a company in the UK, Brecken Pharmaceuticals, during our tenure there. And uh, after about a year of that firm being part of our business, uh, was asked to go over and, and head that organization up as managing director. Spent better part of, of four years in the UK uh, with Brecken. We ended up really completely integrating that business in with our U.S. business, rebranding it to Anderson Brecken, and it gave us an expansion both geographically and capabilities beyond commercial pharmaceutical packaging into clinical trial supplies as well. And, you know, really had a, a great journey through that. We did so well, in fact, that uh, Amerisource saw the value in divesting our business and uh, got me my first introduction into the private equity world. Uh, we sold uh, to Fraser Healthcare and were the, the second in the, uh, the, the assemblage of the PCI empire. Uh, we had, had done the acquisition the year prior to establish the first PCI entity. So the Anderson Brecken universe came into the fold in the, gosh, that was the 2012-2013 timeframe. Uh, and, you know, really what got a great education in flipping out of publicly traded into uh, really held private equity managed uh, third party firms. And I'll, po I'll, pause, I'll pause you there, uh, such a substantial amount of experience that you've had in the industry. What was, what was that transition like? Obviously, you'd had great success in terms of your role uh, from, a, I suppose, sales and marketing background, uh, which I appreciate given my marketing background, seeing, you know, rising up to managing director of uh, the Anderson Brecken business and, and then obviously becoming part of Amerisource Bergen. But then the, the kind of flip to PCI, how did you find that change from, I suppose, being the, the ultimate uh, leader of one business and into the fold of a, of a larger organization where I'm guessing you were a divisional head as opposed to kind of the leader of the entire organization? I imagine that was quite a, an interesting transition. Yeah, no, but but positive. It was it was a good learning to step into, you know, being part of a, of a collaborative larger leadership team. And, you know, having, you know, a couple of great industry veterans who were at the helm of, of BCI at the time to learn from and to, you know, a, a appreciate and adapt the focus uh, of, of, you know, decision making in a, in a leader, less bureaucratic way, let's say, uh, versus being part of a, of a, you know, Fortune 20 organization and, uh, you know, retaining that drive for, you know, results. And, and ensuring you've got a strong action plan and a results drive through that. So it was, for me, it was a great, uh, you know, a great pivot into, uh, into learning the, the value of, uh, of, of working in a, in a collaborative, you know, slightly larger leadership team. And did you relocate back to the U S at this point? And I suppose very closely linked to that, how did you 
How did you enjoy your time in the UK, presumably with your family? Uh, and I, I don't know if you had your kids. I know you have two children, so I wasn't sure if you were if they were around then and they got to be part of that experience. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah, we had been in the UK about four years. Kids were five and three when we went across. <laughs> um, we had left Chicagoland and, and went there and had a wonderful experience professionally and personally. And uh, when we came back, it was, the, it was before the deal was done. Uh, the completion of the of the divestiture from the mirror source to PCI. So they uh, they got us back to Chicagoland ahead of that, and uh, you know the relanding was good. And um, yeah, the 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 experiences that you take on being a visitor in another country, and and you know learning how to adapt and uh, and adjust and you know modify your approach to be successful in a in a slightly different cultural environment. Uh, you know, I'll carry with me throughout my career. It was it was incredible. Yeah, he, well, here, here. I mean, that's something that's very close to my heart. Hence, I asked the question. Uh, I'm sure your family and your kids benefited from that time living in a in a, in a different country. You, you said the word divestiture a couple of times, and it's quite an interesting word because it's 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 not a word we often hear on the podcast. You know, a lot of the guests that we have on often talk about obviously. So it's the flip side of that, you know, the acquisition side of things or the merger side of things. You know, divestiture is one of these words that you almost hear in doing an MBA or in business school or whatever. But what, what I suppose, I've never been part of a of a divestiture, so I don't know how it must feel. Does it? Did part of it feel like, oh my God, we're being cut off because you know we're you know we're, we're the unwanted part of the family, or is it is it viewed as okay, we've got something special in this? You know that you know. In this case, Marisol Bergen wants to cash in on the success of this unit. I'm just trying to understand kind of psychological part of this. You know, which is different. It just been the reason I'm asking is we've very rarely had it on before. Yeah, no, I understand, and it's it's the only time in in, in my tenure that I was on that end of it. All the other uh, experiences for me were on the acquisition side. But the the question is great, and from from the perspective of that transaction, it was a positive in that. Uh, we were, you know, riding a really strong growth curve and had a lot of strong uh, financial results and pipeline ahead of us. Strategically, uh, you know, Amerisource was going through a portfolio evaluation, and and things more closely related to manufacturing were just deemed not strategic, not core, which made perfect sense to us. And you know, we wanted to find a home where we were going to continue to get the capital investment that's required to be a top tier. Uh, third-party provider in forms packaging and, and related services. So it was it was a positive in the end, uh, and it worked out uh, tremendous. Thanks for that. I think it's a really useful, I suppose, uh, insight for many of our uh, listeners that probably haven't been part of that before. And so you obviously spent a bit of time at PCI, and then it seems that uh, your old friends at Amerisource Books came knocking again in the summer of 2014. So Talk us through the decision then to leave PCI and and go back to to Amerisourcebergen. Sure, yeah, it was it was a logical time. You know, I I was with PCI for that first year of integrating the legacy uh, Anderson Brecken business and the and that recently reformed PCI business. And you know, we we got through that successfully, and it it was just a, a good time for a change in direction. Uh, both from a PCI leadership perspective and for me personally. So, you know, exited uh, amicably from the PCI universe. And, you know, as you do, you uh, stay connected with your with your network. And Amerisource and ICS, their specialty 
uh, pharmaceutical third-party logistics business was a sister uh, service company with us in you know Anderson's days as part of of Amerisource Bergen, and I knew the offering very well. In fact, we had um, you know we had pitched multiple emerging bio pharmaceutical uh, prospective clients together on contract packaging and third-party logistics. Um, so it was a it was a really good. Uh, you know, landing spot in terms of Amerisource had a need for a, a proven leader that understood pharma services, and I already had a, a you know a solid foundational understanding of that 3PL business, um, and they were looking to take the next step in formulating a growth strategy and, and accelerating the growth for the business, which is you know part of what I had delivered in the Ederson Brecken days. So it was a really you know synergistic fit at that time. Yeah, and, and another. Five and a half years or so with Amerisource Bergen, which I'm sure was a, it sounds like a very successful um, uh, era of, of, of your career across, you know, different parts of, of the US. But you decided to move on again and become, uh, you know, executive VP at Clinogen. Do you mind talking about your reading? I suppose it, Amerisource Bergen always strikes me as one of those organizations that people, if they get a job there, they might stay there forever. Because it's a very reputable employer and you know such a strong brand and organization. So, what was what was the I suppose the driving decision to you know, to move on into a into a new role? Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, not dissimilar from the from the PCI experience in that um, you know in my five years with ICS, we had frankly exceeded the the growth uh, growth goal targets that have been put out there and. I was ready for a new challenge. Amerisource was going through a uh, uh, kind of a portfolio restructuring at that time, um, and it was again just a, a good time for for me to take leave and uh, join you know another emerging uh, emerging service provider, Eclinogy Group, who was looking for somebody like me with experience in, in pharmaceutical services that had done acquisition integration. Uh, and the timing was perfect. The year before, they had acquired a uh, a uh, clinical trial supplies packaging business from private equity that had both U.S. and European uh, footprint, and and had not really yet uh, connected that business into Clinogen's core offering. So I was brought on to do that, you know, to really to finish the integration. Of the clinical trial supplies business in with the the Clemson mothership as it work and uh, ensure that we had a joined up you know multi continent offering and team as a result of and hold that thought on integration because we're going to come back to that when we talk about Choa Pak and so I, I suppose obviously a hugely successful career in the last year you know twenty years or so and then you know, earlier this year decided to make the move to head up the U.S. business. As president of Choapak, so talk us through what was it about the business that uh, you know intrigued you, that kind of you know wanted you to go and work for them. And I suppose you know for some of our listeners that have not come across the business before, give us a bit of an overview of what Choapak does and the scale and size of the organization. Sure, sure. So at Choapak, we are a a specialty pharmaceutical contract packager. Uh, meaning we contract with the pharma bio uh, companies to provide the service of taking their drug product from the uh, bulk manufactured phase into the the finished saleable good that gets out into the pharmaceutical supply chain. Uh, we do everything from 
oral solid dose blistering uh, on filling and the related secondary and tertiary packaging, uh, a strong and growing presence in biologics and injectables, taking vials or syringes and labeling and packaging those out into final form, uh, also doing a variety of service offerings that support the supply chain management and the, the related quality services needed uh, for the pharmaceutical biotech community. So we have operations in the U.S. and in the Netherlands. We provide uh, pharmaceutical packaged goods that support global demand uh, for many of our clients. Uh, and we are a, a rapidly growing and expanding company. Uh, JOPAC was family founded and owned until several years ago. You've met Dexter Joa and his father, Eric. Um, they, they chose an investment partner in Ampersand Capital who, you know, really came in to enable them to, to take that next growth step from, you know, founder led to investor backed to bring accelerated access to capital and the ability to expand, uh, the business, which the first pass was to acquire another family uh, started business in the U.S. called Pharmaceutical Packaging Services (PPS), uh, which you know was similarly at that inflection point of uh, looking to to have a, an equity partner come in. So, as part of Dexter and and the board strategy to expand their their footprint beyond Europe into the U.S., they acquired uh, PPS. Gosh, coming on about two years ago now. Uh, with the backing of of percent capital at that time, living into their to their the first phase of the growth strategy. So you know when I met uh, these guys and the opportunity earlier this year, uh, it was at that similar point of wow we've we've got this this great asset. We really need somebody that's experienced in uh, you know driving both integration into into another existing business and developing and executing on a growth strategy that will, you know, help us become an uh, even larger and more valued partner to the outsourced community in, in the pharmaceutical and biologics world. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for giving us the overview as well there, Peter. And I suppose just for our uh, listener, if you want to go back and listen to, uh, you know, Dexter Chopak's episode is episode 11, which was one of the early ones. And then um, Peter made its reference to Ampersand and Ampersand Capital Partners were also a guest on the podcast, David Anderson, who's the managing partner in Boston, was episode 112. So certainly encourage listeners, if you haven't heard those episodes, to go back and listen to get some of that kind of backstory. And and obviously you talked about the the pharma packaging solutions kind of acquisition last year down in, in Tennessee. Um, you know, I suppose from the outside, you've got two family businesses you know, under under a private equity ownership effectively now integrating together you've then got a dutch culture and a tennessee in a tennessee culture so you know i imagine there are a lot of complications <laughs> which go with all of those things both from a cultural perspective but also and i don't know how many family members are still involved you know at the pps side i know certainly dexter and his brother are involved at the uh Chopak side but how do you you know i suppose taking on a role like this how do you think about the Complications is probably not the right word, but the nuance of what you've got to deal with, both from a cultural and, a, and I suppose a, a family a perspective, and you know, given your DNA, family business blood, that you know, you probably know some of the the funny stuff that goes along with that. 
Yeah, and it's you know part of what what really attracted me to the opportunity was the the commonality I saw in the the core values and the core spirit of the U.S. and the EU operations, and that being the you know the positives of a, of a family founded and driven business on both sides of the pond having a high service and high quality mindset, and obviously in my tenure in this space. Those are the non-negotiables. You know, to be a trusted partner of Pharma Bio, you have to lead with best quality, best service every day. And to to see and experience that that mindset was already strong, you know, both at at JOPAC Netherlands and and JOPAC US was really part of the attraction for me. You know, there's there's lots of good material to work with. Now let's figure out how to you know, continue to listen to clients and and meet their needs and drive improvements, you know, internally on behalf of our clients as we go. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector, the podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. How did the, the integration piece that you've mentioned before, have you come in to finish off almost the integration that started when the the acquisition uh, began or the, the kind of initial integration began or is there still a significant amount of work from your perspective to get, you know, the two businesses kind of purring and ultimately hopefully being in a position to grow and acquire more businesses in the future, I suspect. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously that is the intent, right? To accelerate growth. But, you know, I think the, uh, you know, the, first year, year and a half of progress on the integration of the two entities was was really solid. Um, you know, my intent is to be sure we're doubling down on the, the things that are working well and just to continue to be uh, in assessment mode of what what's next in terms of what do we need to, to continue to drive further integration to exceed more efficiency to exceed to achieve better service and better quality and let you know into that kind of benchmarking of the best of of both sites i think is where we're at now um we, we've done the you know the foundational integration elements and it's okay we're we're better on one side of the pond than the other at this or this let how do we learn that up and and adapt it and apply it at the other site and and you know to me that's part of the part of the magic of, of how we really leverage the strengths of uh, of both sites and the teams that are that are involved. Yeah, it certainly makes sense. You know that kind of sense of you know learning from each other and using best practice. And I suppose just I suppose following that thread of better, which you said there. How do you so my assumption again is if I look at the contract packaging market within pharma services, you guys play against some seriously big players, right? In the in the in the market who either are part of a CDMO business or that are just standalone larger contract packaging organizations. When you talk about being better and being different, how does, you know, how, you know, how does show up at ref, you know, for differentiate itself and, you know, win clients and ultimately retain clients? What is it about the culture and the capabilities of the organization that manages to give it that kind of foundation for growth? Because it has been very successful for for many years now and it's obviously doing something in the secret source so it'd be great to hear more about sure yeah it, it, you know for for joe pack regardless of site it's the the ability to create really nimble and flexible solutions 
with the combination of high touch service and high quality. So, you know, we, we, in many cases, because we have a smaller operating footprint, we can do the really exceptional, wild and wonderful uh, pack configurations that maybe aren't as uh, straightforward to turn on in facilities that are that are bigger footprinted or more automated integrated, right? So it's we have a lot of ability to be creative and and responsive in our solutioning and stand up uh, processes that fit, you know, for maybe small to mid-sized volume. Uh, th- and we can do it faster, you know, and on quality and on service levels, perhaps than, than some of our uh, larger competitors out there. Yeah. And my, my observation at the minute, I suppose, if I look at the, the guests that we have on the podcast and just my own interactions with the pharma services space that, you know, what, you know, what we're seeing in the market is, a, is, you know, a trend towards, you know, smaller batch sizes, um, you know, s- you know personalized medicines and kind of a different set of requirements from contract packages today versus, you know, when you were doing this 20 years ago, for example, how, how have you, or how do you view the change in the ask of clients today versus maybe 10, 15 years ago? Yeah, I, I think, I think we're really just at the cusp of that, that change from, you know, the, the historical blockbuster pharmaceutical product into that journey of, of personalized medicines. And, you, you know, you, you simply have to look at the number of molecules in the clinical trial phases that are going at much smaller patient populations for disease states that have never had a medicine to, to help those patients. And by default, that means, you know, you're going to end up as you work through clinical trial phases and commercial packaging, needing to create a manufacturing and supply chain that can be responsible and and flexible to an ever declining number of saleable units, right? In many cases at huge, you know, uh, market value per unit, but, you know, curative or, or a long-term manageable effect for the patient, right? So I think we're really just starting to see the first wave of molecules come through the approval stages now that are driving all of us in pharmaceutical services to consider how we adapt our ability to serve um, serve well. You know these these smaller patient population medicines that are that are truly innovative and you know meeting some incredible unmet need. And is it? Again, my my guess is that creates more headaches and complications for you guys as a you know a, a contract packaging organization because you are having to be so agile and having to be so flexible. Is there a limit in which companies like yours can flex, if that makes sense, or is that just part of the you know the the modern kind of drug development world that we live in that you guys are just going to have to be able to bend every way possible to deal with the different types of modalities and yeah, that are coming through uh, the drugs delivery systems at the minute. You you, you captured it very well there. It, it, it is that um, the ability to think through the how flexible do I need to be uh, for each of these opportunities. But it, it starts back, back with my core premise of um, listening well to what it is that the client is trying to solve, right? And and 
it always now starts more with uh, this is how the patient needs to interact with this medicine, right? And 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 kind of designing back from that, particularly with these novel medicines, to configure their supply chain, you know, and their and their manufacturing and packaging chain in a way that serves. So it, it, that's part of what keeps me really excited about being in this space is I think we're really just starting down that journey of figuring out how the whole of the pharma and bio supply chain um, needs to adapt to be more responsive to these uh, changing needs in, in drug development and, and serving patients that haven't had an option. So we, we as a provider, you know, have to take on, and, and I, I haven't yet found something that we couldn't solution, right, in any of my stops. Um, you've got to be smart about what's the, what's the value of that solution in the eyes of your client married up against are you actually meeting the need that they've identified and and we just have to keep using all of the evolving tools at our disposal to do that better uh whether it's you know data and analytics and and ai and physics intelligence whether it's uh more flexible and 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 modifiable equipment trains uh you know whatever that may be we've got to we've got to just more actively bring all those advancing tools into the equation is it fair to say this is a good time to be a flexible, agile contract packaging provider with with I suppose the the vibrant sector in terms of the the new explosion of of opportunities coming through the pipeline? But specifically, I'm thinking this biotech and emerging biotech type companies that don't necessarily want to go to the large you know organizations in the sector they want you know, smaller mid-sized partners with a global presence is is it I'm guessing that was part of your thinking when it came to taking on this role that Chopak just seems very well positioned to I suppose take advantages of some of the trends that we're seeing in the market yes uh, in simple terms that that's a key part of what attracted me here it's a key part of the Chopak value proposition. And, you know, the reality is the the preponderance of the client base for JOPAC is in that, um, you know, call it emerging through to mid-sized pharma bio realm that has already made the strategic decision to outsource the vast majority of what they do to, to bring their new medicines to the And, you know, as JOPAC, us needing to be positioned not just to be the, you know, the flexible, responsive packaging provider, but how do we continue to expand our offering to allow these virtually minded manufacturers to trust us to be an even deeper supply chain partner for them, right? So that's that's really where we're continuing to focus as well. Yes, protect and grow our ability to package label and and start the distribution process for our clients but what else can we do to be a more proactive uh supply chain partner for them linked to that as well i'm guessing a lot of what you do is play a, almost a consultative role when you've got these companies coming to you maybe asking for x y and z and based on your experience and the types of projects you've worked on you can maybe add some value and say well actually have you thought about doing it this way or this might be a more innovative way of doing things is that a that would be my guess and, and some of the, the added value that we're able to offer some of these clients that might not have done this before, right? They might be in this. So that, that 
that's my uh, that's my guess anyway. Yeah, no, it's 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 a really good take, and it 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 is definitely the reality, particularly for the you know the small to mid sized form of bio. And what I always find fascinating is that so many of these companies, rightly so, as they're getting into their commercialization stages, are hiring in, you know, well-experienced folks from bigger pharma bio who have done it before. But even with that, you know, as a third-party provider, we see so many different uh, products and projects and potential solutions that in many cases, even when you're sitting with an experienced, say, big biopharmaceutical uh, veteran, you know they perhaps haven't seen the same range of options to solution that we have because you know they they just came from a a, a cleaner swim lane of well, here's how we're going to do it for this you know blockbuster or potential blockbuster biologic doesn't fit necessarily the same way for you know some of these purposely designed for smaller patient population medicines. So let's talk about the future. Obviously, you've got a big job to do, Peter, and you've uh, you've taken on this role to grow the business. And I think it's fair to say that the business will continue to grow and, and take advantage. But I suppose if you look more broadly, and we've talked about smaller patient populations and personalized medicines and you know other, other kind of areas in terms of that are driving the demand for what you guys do. What are the trends and shifts are you seeing in the sector right now in terms of, you know, I'm guessing, you know, the the biotech kind of capital markets has had some kind of impact on you guys. But at the same time, uh, my my guess would also be that, you know, just the nature of what these companies are looking for is also driving demand for for you guys. So have you seen much of a an impact from a from that perspective and Linked, I suppose, to that as well from a trends perspective, supply chain expense, and you know, you guys are shifting materials all over the, the the world. That must be a huge headache when costs are fluctuating so much in different geographies. Yes, and uh, you know the, the trends, you know, the macro trends are certainly being seen across the industry. Right, the the evolution of drug development, supporting the need for more cold and frozen chain development capabilities end to end in the in the form of biologics supply chain the ability to effectively uh, manufacture package and distribute these unique and temperature sensitive medicines on a global basis and to manage the cost and the safety and efficacy of the product as it goes through that supply chain all, all of those demands are real and continuing to increase. Um, and and I you know I think back to my earlier point it it comes back to creating you know really exciting opportunity for all of us in the outsourced services space uh, in the pharmaceutical biotech arena to ensure that we are leveraging the tools that are out there uh, adapting the ones that weren't developed for pharma bio but man they'd be great uh, solution sets for some of the challenges that we face. And continuing to think forward on behalf of our client partners, you know, for for how to how to take these headaches off their plate and and be in a position for us to be the trusted partner that they want to manage as much of that supply chain as as we could reasonably look after for it. And I suppose switching gears slightly because this was something that I uh, came across when kind of 
researching you and, and seeing some content that had been written by you in the past. And I've read this this sentence that, you know, your belief as a leader's job is to eliminate the roadblocks to employee success. Um, and what, and the, my kind of segue into this is, is you have, you know, carried yourself as an accomplished leader and continue to do so obviously in your or your new role what is what does that belief mean to you that kind of concept of eliminating roadblocks and that being the key to success and how do you actually bring that into your day-to-day so if someone's listening to this night now saying well i've heard the kind of theory behind it but you know if i've got a team how do i do exactly that eliminate them and you know help them so yeah any any kind of color you can give to it, I think would be really helpful for some people who are in leadership roles for the first time or, or on a pathway similar to yourself. Yeah. To me, at the core, it's particularly as a leader, it's understanding that our primary mission is to serve those in the business. And that starts with active listening and being humble enough to not believe that you have or should have all the ideas and all the solutions, right? Um, and and business is a team sport, right? That, that'll never change. So it, it's, it's combining those elements of listening to what your organization is saying from the people in the work every day, particularly the feedback that they're getting from clients and the market. Those are the nuggets that drive me to, to make that statement that it's it's figuring out how we can make our internal processes serve our teams, not our teams have to serve a process. And that then frees up the energy and the enthusiasm and the responsiveness that any service-minded business must have in order to succeed. And you know, particularly when you marry that with the importance of even having a small touch on something as important as a medicine that we all, you know, we all have our patients and no patients that take the medicines that we package, right? So it's connecting people to that, that powerful mission of serving, you know, the greater good of, of what pharmaceuticals provide to make life better for so many around the globe and harnessing that I did those ideas for improvements that come from your teams. Uh, and as a leader, you know, working through the rigor of you can't fix everything. Let's prioritize the ones where, you know, we know we can take some quick action or, hey, these are ones that are more complicated, but they're really going to move the needle if we can solve it. How do we resource the solutioning behind that? Uh, and always being tuned in to what your teams are saying, because if, you know, they're the ones that really end up delivering uh, the work. And, and as leaders, we have to always be mindful and respectful of that. Yeah, I love that. And I think there's so many, so many pills of wisdom in, in what you just said there, Peter. So I, I certainly encourage our listener to skip, skip back 30 seconds or a minute or so and, and, and re-listen to that. And, uh, final question for you, Peter, you know, I, you, you said right towards the start, obviously your, you know, you, you, your family business that you were part of, uh, with, with your father and your brothers when, you know, when you were, were younger and you find that yourself in that position again do you you know when you come into an organization like Chopak that has been still has family members in it has been family owned historically do you do you approach it with a different mindset given your kind of family business background versus if it was say 
a you know a publicly listed company or you know a you know, pure play corporate element is there something different about the way that you have to operate or the tone you set that's specific to uh, a family a f- business that has that kind of family feel to it yeah I, I i think it's it's simply being respectful of the journey that the business has been on to get to where they are and honoring the work that the founders and their families have done to get to this point right but then you know being being clear and transparent about setting a vision for what's possible what's next and then combining that strength of having a you know a a strong backer as we do at JoePack, as well as you know a, a well experienced global leadership team now that you know can bring learnings and experience from you know the 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 more corporate background to apply to this this really strong and nimble business to help us create scalable repeatable growth right and and, and not just a bunch of one off solutions that oh gosh i got to do that 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times over, that may not work, right? So it's, it's kind of merging the elements of all that together. Yeah, that's, that's great to know, actually. And you kind of play that pivotal role, right, of like, you know, one hand being respectful and, uh, you know, and it, understanding the legacy of where the business has come from, but your job is that kind of scalability element looking forward as well and, and kind of treading that line, which I think is a, a great insight. Peter, what a pleasure having you on the podcast. I was really excited to uh, have been introduced to you. Uh, as I mentioned at the start, I'm a big fan of Joe Park and where the business has come from and, and where it continues to go. And it goes without saying, but uh, we wish you all the best in your role and your adventure at Joe Park. And you know, it'd be great to see it go from strength to strength. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. I really have enjoyed the conversation and, and appreciate the opportunity. And there you have it. That was Peter Belden, who is president of Choapak in the US. Uh, what a accomplished, likable chap he is. Uh, clearly very passionate about pharmaceutical packaging. He's dedicated the bulk of his career to it and uh, finds himself in a, a role that's very akin to his kind of start of his journey as a, within a family business uh, to take Choapak to the next level. I suppose as I reflect back on today's episode, it was good to get his take on the divestiture from Amerisource Bergen to PCI and how, what that involves and how it felt. It's not a topic that comes up very often on the podcast, so it was something good to delve into and get a bit more insight. Uh, lots of chat about the complexities of M&A and the challenge of integration and especially on a, on a multinational scale. But again, that a commonality that we see in many guests that he obviously traveled and lived in a different country with his family, which we see time and time again on the podcast, which I think is is a huge factor in, in success of a lot of people in the business. On the trend side of things, you know, we picked up on lots of things and I think Peter talked about the drive and or you know shift towards smaller patient populations, personalized medicines, and how ultimately that's going to drive uh, you know more demand for the types of services that a flexible and agile contract packaging organization, uh, albeit a multi-site one, uh, can can deal with. So really good to get his take on that kind of vibrant mid-market uh, contract manufacturing space. And it doesn't seem to be a huge amount of slowdown. And given his leadership 
uh, kind of capabilities and his client focused nature it was good to get his take on some other areas as well in terms of leadership and some phrases that he mentioned that I, I certainly picked up on active listening taking headaches away from clients eliminating roadblocks just some of the things that he talked about he talked time and time again about the strong to high touch customer service strong partnerships he's clearly got a great passion for people and clients which has been part of his success so yeah i hope you enjoyed uh, this episode thanks to my team as always for pulling together today's podcast and bringing it safely and effectively to your ears if you like this show or indeed the podcast please like and share and i'll hopefully see you out and about at one of the events in the fall hi again thanks for tuning in to today's show i really hope you enjoyed the episode for more shows have a look on spotify apple or amazon wherever you like to listen and do make sure that you subscribe so the next episode comes direct to your device automatically and please get in touch via our website at molecule to market pod or via linkedin or twitter we love to hear from you so if you have a guest that you want to suggest or someone in your organization that you think would make a great guest on molecule to market then please let us know We'll see you very soon. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, an international content, digital and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile and generate leads in life sciences.